Mel from Tales of Nanai, and you're listening to Snackpod. I mean, Muckpod? Nah, your Snackpod's better. Yeah, Snackpod. Kiara and Falcher to the Muckpuddy Community Podcast, where we chat with the talented people who help us make cool stuff about what they do, uh, how they do it, and what's inspiring them. I'm one of your hosts, Simon Crane, and I'm an animator here at Muckpuddy. I am Joshua Marchand, also an animator here at Muckpuddy, one of your hosts. And joining us today for this episode, I'm Becky Quick. I'm an ex animatic editor from Muck Putty, and then I moved on to be the creator showrunner of Tales of Nine Eye. So yeah. exciting to have you here. If I understand it correctly, you're no longer officially working at Muck Putty? No, I haven't worked at Muck Putty for a few years now. It's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you're around, though. I'm around. Yeah. I'm still here. So, yeah. We, we so love part of the fabric. Should we go back to, like, you, so you came here. During the the Quimbo, the Quimbo expansion, yes, yes, the great Quimbo expansion of 2018. Ah, what a time! And this, and you came to do animatic editing. So that was animatic editing, right? Right. And was this full time as an animatic editor? Yeah. How did you come to the role? How did you hear about it? How did you make friends with the marks? I uh, Simon Ward, Mm -hmm. production manager, producer. Yes. Knew him on Facebook. We were friends because we're both actors. So I knew him from Mm. that. Of course. He put a little thing up on Facebook and he said, I'm pretty sure he said, you know, we're looking for an animatic editor. You need to know how to edit and you need to be funny. And I was right. like, I can do that. Yeah. But then I was like, mm, maybe you can't. But then I said I could do it. And he was like, cool, great, come in for an interview. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I was an actor at the time. I'd been an actor for 10 years. That's what I was doing. Uh-huh. Um, but he, he was actually quite, he was quite adamant. He was like, come in, have an interview. And I did. And it worked. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're a perfect fit. And was this totally. your introduction to animation? Yes. Wow. With the exception of loving animation. Right. Uh-huh. I'd right, never right. done anything in animation before. So for the first year that I worked here, I felt like such a fraud. Right. Well, we we all feel Did like we this, all. this, which is, is wild to me because you guys are all artists and and actual animators trained, whereas I was just like, I'm an actor. I think I can edit. Well, th- this is a, te- a theme that comes up again and again. Everybody who's come in here is like, no, I'm a complete fraud. <laughs> so, Very yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. sad because I look around and I think you guys are also talented. Oh well, this I feel the same. I yeah. walk around and like one of the greatest things I love about my day is is looking over people's shoulders and yeah. sort of seeing what they're see doing. What they can do. Yeah, and then when you see their art outside of that's the stuff yeah 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 well absolutely i mean these are all things that we like to explore on the show uh dealing with that uh imposter syndrome and uh when your work becomes your job Mm. how do you keep up that creativity outside of work or do Mm. you because some people just find that uh they'd rather go home and be a person because they Mm. spend all day doing i would advocate for at least sometimes absolutely go home at five o'clock and don't do work yeah yeah no totally don't hustle yeah. I mean, it is great when you do find something that inspires you and you can't have, like, like I do often say that I, if I'm not working, I do not want to sit in front of a computer. Right. But once in a while, something will come along where you just go, oh, I'm loving this and it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. So that's good. But apart from that, like, I like walking, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? But you're active, right? You cycle. Yeah, I used to until I got a dog now. So, oh, okay, so I yeah. tend to just walk everywhere. Yes. So, yeah. um, which that's is great. good. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's great. I so it. I wanted to circle back to when you uh, first got here. It's very much, uh, uh, from what I've heard, the actor thing. Mm-hmm. You say yes and then figure out how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so degree, had, yeah. you, had you not uh, worked in, I believe, is it After Effects? 
is the program that uh, we use for Premiere, Adobe Premiere. Premiere. Okay. I hadn't used Premiere before. No, I had used, I believe it was like Windows Movie Maker. Sure, right. had right. we all? That was right. how I yeah. did my first animation. Is I would do Absolutely. a drawing in Microsoft Paint, slim that down to the point of you know a fifth of a second, then do the next drawing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what can you tell us about the process of uh, creating an animatic for a cartoon? I, you know what? It's actually really simple. Mm-hmm. I think the the skill that you need is storytelling mm-hmm. ability. If you're not, if you don't have that, if that doesn't come naturally to you, then animatics are going to be tough, or your animatics are always going to be edited by someone else after you're done okay. mm-hmm. to fix up mm-hmm. the story flow. So the actual mechanics of it are really simple. You lay down the picture, you lay down the sound, you you shape everything up, and then you're done. Sure. But it's all about the storytelling. Okay. Yeah. So uh, do you feel that you're you're acting? sort of yeah, helped with that totally sort of my storytelling i mean right. even prior to acting i was always uh, a writer i always oh. wanted to create my own stories and i actually moved away from acting because it didn't feel like enough for me mm-hmm. um and i realized when all of my acting friends uh well, my, my actor friends they would say things like you know i just love stepping into a character i just love to live inside the character it's a really therapeutic experience i'd be like well it's not for me right. i'm here to storytell like yeah, i'm here right, as right. part of the the you know the jigsaw puzzle that puts it together and yeah. it was not enough for me to turn up to set do my bit and then leave and not be a part of it so that kind of was my first inkling that i wanted to have more say Mm. and that's such an important thing is being able to say to yourself i've tried it Mm -hmm. uh i've learned what i can from it but it's actually not for me i want to do something else that kind of honesty with yourself is crucial to a creative career because otherwise well the worst case scenario is ending up in a role and sticking with it for years when it's and not your it. passion. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, for for our audience uh, who might be curious, what part of the process uh, has been done by the time it gets to you putting together an animatic, and what comes mm. after that? So that surprise get animatics. We've got the the scripting, the character design, mm-hmm. the storyboards, uh, background designs, typically in the works at that point, mm-hmm. um, and maybe some early rigging for the animation would be done at that point. But after the voice recording. And and the storyboards are finished. That's that's when you can actually start working on mm-hmm. your animatic. Everything mm-hmm. else can be there or not, but you need the the voice work and the storyboards. Okay. And then uh, once you've done mm-hmm. the animatic, that's when uh, the team leader of the animator yeah. will take it's the ready to go and divide up, chop shots. it up, mm. and hand it out to you guys, and you can start working on it. I mean, the animatic is very much that like to us, to an animator, mm-hmm. and to other people here. We. We can actually see the finished Absolutely. show it's the by blueprint. watching the anima. It's yeah. the blueprint, exactly. I've always exactly. thought that because I know that some people don't actually work with animatics and it blows my mind. Mm. I don't know how that... Is that a, that's that in live is. action though, right? Or Definitely in live action, but yeah. I put it in, in animation. Sometimes they don't. Wow. And I, I don't know what type... I don't know how you could do narrative scripted story no. especially something that's longer than like a minute. No, because you know? I know that some shows... Uh, come up with their story and their dialogue through storyboards Mm. as opposed to a script. But regardless of which route you take, I would think that the path eventually brings you back to an animatic so you can Mm. see how it plays. I know that in Disney animation, uh, they'll do storyboards and rough pencil tests and show the executives, here's a rough cut of the film with voices and stand-in sound effects and music to give you an idea of what it plays like to see is it working before we commit to Mm. fully polished Mm. animation. Mm. I suspect. I wonder whether the only way it could work is if your animator is the director. 
Right. Because for me as a director, the, the primary tool for me to direct my show was the animatic. If I didn't have a hand in that and if I wasn't happy with the animatic, then you can guarantee that everything that comes after that is either not going to be what I wanted or is going to have to change later. And yeah. that's very difficult after animatic to change anything, obviously. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess it's your directing style mm. as to whether or not you want an animatic. But I'm a very hands-on director, so I always wanted the animatic. So let's talk about that now mm. because you came in to make animatics yeah but very quickly yeah. like an impressively <laughs> yeah. like fast yeah. uh, time yeah you became your own yeah you made your own show yeah yeah i'd love to talk about um the origins of tales of nine eye yeah tales um, of nine eye is the show it's the show that uh you created which is so exciting because you are the first person uh inside the studio who's already working at the studio uh to sell and uh, create their own show, which was produced through Muck Putty. Mm. Most of the shows uh, were created by the Mucks, the guys mm-hmm. who started the studio. They started it to create and produce their own original works. Uh, I guess tell us a little bit yeah. about going from being animatic editor to showrunner. Yes. Uh, when you look at it like that within the kind of the space of, I think it was a space of about nine or ten months mm-hmm. that I'd been working here, it seems insanely fast, definitely. Um, and I would have told you a couple of years ago, like, how did that happen? But mm. I understand now kind of everything that had to work in place for me to, to get there at mm. the time that I did. But the simple story is that um, the uh, New Zealand On Air and the Pan Asian Screen Collective essentially came together and said, look, there's a gap in the market. There's no children's content aimed at Asian, Pan Asian children mm-hmm. in New Zealand. But they make up a quarter of the viewing audience. One quarter, that's a huge amount. And there's nothing that they can watch on TV that they can see themselves in. And so obviously the Pan-Asian Screen Collective just put a shout out to a few people who are working kids TV. I was one of them and said, let's all get together, brainstorm something and see if anything floats, anything comes up that we particularly like. A few ideas came up and Tales of Nine, I was one of them. Um, We all agreed it needed to be animated. So I took it to the mucks and I said, do you like this idea? And they said, yeah, you should pitch that. And I said, yeah, I should. And then there was a little couple days where I was like, do you pitch it? Do I pitch it? Like, right. what's going on? Yeah, of course. I'm not sure. Do I just give it to you? Like, because you guys are my bosses or... Uh, but then someone external to Muck Party was like, no, that's yours. Like, you <laughs> right. step yeah. up. Yeah. Like, go yeah. it. You own it. This is yours. There's yeah. no reason to hand it over to anybody else. And I don't know if it's something that you can talk about, but what was the process of you've come up with an idea for a show, mm. you've fleshed it out. Mm. I presume you've written some sort of document or a pitch Bible. Um... What is the process then to bringing that to TVNZ? Because I imagine it's not, you know, the door is open to the public. You walk through a revolving door. Here's my idea. Yeah. Buy it, please. Yeah. I mean, you know what? Luckily, we are in New Zealand. So to a certain degree, it is that simple. Okay. You can access the commissioners of the network's by emailing them or calling them, and they will answer. You know, they will speak to you. Wow. So the door is open in that sense. Um, Obviously, your work needs to be up to a certain standard, and it needs to fill a gap that they're looking to fill. Absolutely. But with kids' TV in New Zealand at present, it's potentially about to change, but at present, it is that if you are pitching something to New Zealand on air for Hey Hey, which Mm -hmm. is their kids' um, uh, platform, Mm -hmm. it automatically gets TVNZ support. So I got to skip the part where I pitched to a a network and they say no. Mm -hmm. Wow. (laughs) So I'm extremely lucky in that sense that my first one out the gate was it was automatically had a platform on board. Fantastic. So I just had to go straight to New Zealand on air. Um, with my pitch yeah that's uh, that's interesting what you were saying about uh filling a filling a gap yes. because i think that a lot of people myself included you know have the preconception that all ideas that make it to tv are purely just the brainchild the passion project of an artist where 
actually have talked a lot to the mucks and so many of the shows that they pitch mm. they ask the network or they hear from the network this is what we're looking for yeah. this is what we want so they come up with an idea to accommodate that and to a degree that is a part of creativity is 100%. you're going to have to work with a funding yeah. body mm. you're going to have to give them what they want mm. And the challenge is coming up with an idea that excites and stimulates you, exactly. but also fills uh, whatever whatever they're looking yeah. for. Yeah. Well, I think there's a, um, a a tendency for creatives to forget that this is a business. Mm-hmm. You can marry the two, absolutely, but they need to live alongside each other. Provided you would like to get paid, you need to understand it's a business. Absolutely. Which means that you're working with other people's money <laughs> and they have their particular things that they need to fill. And you can fight against that. Or you can decide I'm going to get on board with that. So all of the I've I've had three shows funded now, mm-hmm. and they've all been responses to a request for proposals where they said mm-hmm. we're looking for this audience, we're looking for this type of work mm-hmm. for this community or for this audience, whatever. And I've responded to that with something that definitely excited me that I definitely felt like I was the right person to to get on board. Mm-hmm. And and there've been heaps that have come out as well that I've said no, that's not for me. I don't want to. I wouldn't have anything right, that would right. serve that audience, okay. or I, I I'm not interested in telling stories in that space. Sure. So yeah, you can marry those two. You can, I, I want to tell a story in this space. And, and I actually also find it's that thing of like, if I came to you and I was like, Josh, make a show. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, but what? And I'd be like, I don't know, do anything. But if I said, make a show that's about this or for sure. this audience, you'd be like, right, okay, now I've got ideas. Yeah, right. I know what I'm serving. Some- so I find it easier to respond to these proposals. Completely. Sometimes the worst thing for an artist is no holds barred, Absolutely. blank page, do whatever you want. Yeah. Because yeah. you've what got a million you know? ideas. It's like, which, which one am I going to yeah. develop? Help on? me. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. am I yeah. serving? What is this yeah. for? And I think that's the cool thing to remember is that you're always sending it for something. With Nainai, did you get your inspiration for like the story and stuff from your own life? Mm-hmm. Or like, yeah. you, you grew up in New Zealand? I grew up in Australia and New Zealand. And right. then I actually also spent about three years in Vietnam. Oh, okay. And when I was living in Vietnam, my grandparents at the time were living in Malaysia, which is where they're from and where my dad is from. Mm-hmm, so right. I got to go and spend a lot of time in their home and, and now they live nice. in Australia. But um, yeah, Nine is a mixture of like anecdotes and jokes and stories that all of the kind of Asian community tell and we all kind of know and we share this kind of um, vocabulary, I guess, right. mixed with a lot of stuff from my own family. And then also mixed with just understanding what the the format and the structure of Tales of Nine is. So every single episode is about teaching a lesson to the kids mm. to the two main children are sure. seven years old they have a lot to learn you know and so it'll be things for example like they're making too much noise in the house and nana needs to concentrate mm-hmm. so she's going to teach them about being maybe a little bit more aware of your surroundings and if i ask you to be quiet i'm going to need you to be quiet so what ridiculous magical creature can i come up with and where in asia can we send them to mm. learn that lesson on a, a bigger more magical colorful level yeah and that's the structure of tales of nana so so i definitely i remember season two i was I got to a point where I was like, I think I'm out of lessons to teach children because I don't have kids. Right. I don't know anything about children. I babysat like millions of years ago, but I don't know anything about kids. So I'd have to be like, what, what problems do parents have? And really trying to kind of pull stuff out of thin air. But Wow. So that's that's a funny thing because like I got into preschool animation mm. and it was good because I had kids at this point. And I quite liked taking my work home and testing it out on the audience. Yeah. And, I've, and I, I definitely found that easier. But you didn't have this, yeah. and yet I, I watched like three episodes of Tales of Nine Eye yesterday. Mm. It's wonderful. It's Thank great. You. It's beautiful. But my kids, who aren't like they're, they're not, not little kids anymore, yeah. like like uh, uh, eleven and fourteen, uh-huh. uh, and they kind of came in and started sitting down and watching. And after three episodes, I was like, okay, that's it. That's I'm, enough, I'm yeah. getting back to work. Huh. They stayed and kept oh, watching. Today. Yeah, no, and they'd already seen it all as right. well, right? Because like when Roxy was making yes. it, yes. 
Um, she would have tried it out on them. I know she told me that she was showing it to them. It's wonderful. Yes. And so your the, youngest, your youngest really likes Bao Bao, I think. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> we all love Bao Bao. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bao Bao yeah. is the, uh, what's the type of dog? Chow Chow. Chow Chow. Right. And you know a Chow Chow. I know a Chow Chow. I was about to say, uh, <laughs> a friend of my mother's owns a Chow Chow. So at one point we dog sat for them. They're the most peculiar dogs so you've ever strange. seen. Right. We're used to having little lap dogs yes. in the house because my parents and their friends are all sort of 60 years old. So they want a little dog to stroke and sit on their lap. It was like having a good sized sheep waddling into our home. And we just couldn't wrap our heads around its personality because most dogs <laughs> are. Personality really strange, eh? Most little dogs are really. Uh, they're very needy. Yes. They're emotionally needy. Mm. They want to be petted and loved and shown affection. This dog just found a corner, plopped down, <laughs> and it would look at you really curiously if you went up and patted it. Like, what, what are, are you doing? doing? I'm not for? bothered. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind, but oh yeah, sure. Do it if you yeah, need humans to. Are strange. <laughs> You're doing it for you, not me. They didn't want to go on walks. Uh, would get sort of, you know, halfway down the street and it would just stop and you could not move it, move yep. it for love or money. It was yep. like a rock. They're, they're such an interesting uh, choice of dog. They're typically not people dogs, and right. they don't typically like kids either. Yeah. So Bao Bao is not a normal child. <laughs> uh, you know, I was wondering, like, Bao Bao is such a fun, cute, outgoing character. Yeah. Lots of people would, uh, watching it are running out and going, Mom, I want, a I want a chow. And then they get it. They're like, what's this? This dog sucks. <laughs> this is just another couch. <laughs> I know that after... Um, uh, Disney in the 90s did their remake of 101 Dalmatians with Glenn Close. A lot of people, got Dalmatians. Lot of people mm. got Dalmatians. Those are also not yeah. typically family dogs. Yeah. They're, I don't know what they're bred for, but they're they're a bit antisocial. I don't know why, but I just, I, I wanted a Chinese dog. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the, the, the key thing for me was a Chinese dog. But I, for myself, I love dogs, but they've got to be weird for yeah. me to love them yeah. and a chow right. chow is weird if you show me a labrador i'm like cool great dog whatever but if you show me a chow i'm gonna lose my mind yeah so i need i just needed a funny dog and the purpose of baba because she's actually a late addition to the show okay she originally it was just nana and the two kids and i was like you know something's definitely missing there's something warm and squishy and fuzzy that's missing so mm. um when i think about the the core inspirations for me were a lot of the disney uh, films that we know where there's always an animal sidekick. So I just thought we've got to have an animal. And I think yeah. from an animator's perspective uh, and an audience's, I suppose, people just love animals more than they love people. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, well, that's the biggest feedback I get is that everyone loves Bao Bao and then the next one they'll love is one of the yaks or the pandas or, you know, like everyone yeah. loves animals the most. Well, it was a really, it's a very smart setup that you've uh, come up with for the show where it is these kids uh, being taught by their grandmother, mm-hmm. but... Um, no kid wants to sit down and watch a show that is just wagging a finger going, here's how you should behave. Exactly. Uh, so you take them and uh, the premise for anyone who might not know is uh, Nai Nai, mm-hmm. their grandmother, has a magical purse. And every episode the kids go inside the purse and it takes them to another pan-Asian country, uh-huh. which is always beautiful and magical. They meet mystical creatures mm-hmm. and uh, they learn the lesson on a larger scale. Absolutely. Which gives way for uh, adventure and mm-hmm. comedy yep. and all this other stuff that just makes it makes the medicine go down. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And for from a, um, I guess, a, a, an anti-racism advocacy perspective, mm-hmm. it's how we teach young children, but especially anyone who's watching that, um, I don't know, I guess, Asian cultures, languages, characters, um 
all of it are normal and beautiful yeah. and worth respecting, including when they have an accent, including when they look different to you. So it's for, for children, for young audiences, a really subtle way of teaching them that robust kind of like, I, I'm not going to feel embarrassed about my identity. I'm yeah, not going to feel I, bad. I think it's such an important lesson yeah. for little kids. And um, like, I always think that, that like, uh, certainly my generation, probably your guys too, like uh, Sesame Street yeah. was the one where it just said like, all races are going to be on the yeah. street. And, mm. and you know what? that's going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. And as a little kid, I'm like, yay. And then yeah. you kind of grow up and you find out about this thing, racism, and it's like, oh, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, it peters away as well. This? Representation is like yeah. quite, you know, there's some TV shows, kids' TV shows that really lean into it, like Sesame Street, because they understand that that's the correct way to do it, to teach children that everybody matters. Yeah. But mm. then that really falls away as we head into the more mainstream TV, and mm. that's a real shame. Yeah, so many mm. shows, uh, speaking personally, that I consumed as a child uh, the perspective of the main character, usually white. Yeah. Usually a white yeah. character, and uh, you get, you sort of internalize the idea that that's the default. Yeah. Which is, which is a, you know, a not healthy idea to absorb. Yeah. And that's what I love um, about Tales of Nine Eye because it's such a specific point of view. Um, it, the two kids are two, uh, they're two Asian children yeah. living in New Zealand, which, uh -huh. as you say, we have such a big uh, and Huge diverse population. Asian uh, population yeah. here in New Zealand. Why wasn't there a show serving that community? Mm. And the issues that came up in certain episodes, I thought these are such crucial things uh, yeah. to be talking about for kids. Like the fact that there's an episode where uh, Maggie and Michael, it's been a while since I've worked yes, on the show. The Maggie names are leaving my mind. Uh, Maggie and Michael, <laughs> the, um, twins. the twins, they're uncomfortable about the fact that they're going to school and they have different food for lunch than all the yeah. other children. They want to have sandwiches like the other kids. They're 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 feeling self conscious about yeah. bringing something different, like noodles, which they eat with chopsticks. Mm -hmm. Or another one where um, because everyone else uh, at school has an English name, mm -hmm. they just want to call themselves Maggie and Michael. They want to get rid of their Chinese names, but they yeah. have Chinese names, and their grandmother teaches them the importance mm -hmm. of those names, why yeah. they matter. Where they came from. Yeah. They turn out to be real cool names, right? Like cool one names. is like Tiger and... <laughs> little Tiger, like, Little Dragon. Dragon, yeah. yeah. Like, my dad came up with that. Yeah. I messed with <sighs> my dad. He was actually a really cool part of the show. Anytime I was like, uh, I don't know what to call this. I don't know what word this is in Chinese. I just messaged my dad on WhatsApp. And if yeah. he didn't know the answer, we'd get the whole family involved. And I actually remember one time, we, I think we were trying to uh, figure out the pronunciation of a word in Malay. And we had about three, four of us on the phone to our families in various different countries, getting them to say this word. It was all at the same time. There's a few of the animators. We're all on the phone at the same time going, can right. you say this word? Because we're trying to just figure out how to say it. It's a really beautiful, like, oh, that's, fantastic. That's, our, that's our cultural consultants is our mums and dads. And yeah, our, yeah. You know, yeah, and our aunties. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess that's why the, the, the show does feel authentic. Yeah. You know, like it's, 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 it is, yeah. you know, it's, it's not. It's, it's not heavy handed. Yeah, it, it does feel natural and it doesn't feel that, like, I don't feel like I'm being lectured to when yeah. I'm watching it. Um, uh, it's it's a it's something important, but married with entertainment, you know. And that was yeah. always the goal because I think that what we as um, I can only speak to Asians, but I know that people of color broadly experience the same thing: is that we never get to see ourselves as the the hero in the center of something. Yeah. Um, but I don't need 
my representation to be very, very, very Asian. Mm-hmm. I, I need my representation to be funny and interesting mm. and heroic and yep. there needs to be a dog. Like if there's a dog, I'm good. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to offer to kids. So primarily the audience is Asian kids and they need to see – most of the episodes aren't about being Asian at all. Mm. Like no, like not- 18 out of 20 of them are not about that. No, yeah. absolutely. Like I really locked on to those ones that were that specific, mm. but a lot of them are just – Things that kids also need to get to grips totally. with. Like, mm. you you have to pick up after yourself. Don't waste water. Things yeah, like this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't beat up your brother. No, don't <laughs> beat up your brother. The lesson is absolutely important and it's there. But then you have real characters mm-hmm. on top of that. Uh, you know, they're not just ciphers. Uh, exactly. They could be anyone. Michael is like a really <laughs> nervous little boy is, yeah. who's always uh, like, I don't know if we should be doing this. He's very innocent. And then Maggie, on the other hand, is loud and brash and Sadie. runs into things head first. Yes, absolutely. Do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I've got an older brother, younger sister, and now okay. I have a new younger brother. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Expanding family. I do. Expanding yeah. family. Yeah. 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 And was a lot of that brought into Tales of Nine Nine? Definitely. My relationship with yeah. my brother and sister, because um, we're close in age, the three of us, um, yeah, definitely the dynamic between us. Yeah, for and sure. so much of um, of writing, an important part of writing, I think, is uh, to a degree writing what you know uh-huh. or writing what you care about. Mm. Yeah. Obviously, none of us have jumped into a magical purse. But, <laughs> but well, if I did, what would it look like? <laughs> most of us have siblings. We know that relationship. Yeah. Um, and to what you say, when you accept a project, you ask yourself, is this pro? Am I the right person uh-huh. to tell this story? Yeah. Mm. Do you know what? For, for Tales of Nana, it actually took me a little while to embrace that. I felt very much in service to Tales of Nana in the first season. I felt in service to the studio. I felt in service to everyone that was working on the show. Okay. I felt in service to the Pan Asian Screen Collective, to everyone. And it took me a number of episodes. I, it was for the, further towards the end of the season where I was like, hold on, this is my show. And I can put my sense of humor in there. I can put what I like in there. Mm-hmm. I just have to remember why it exists. So I can't make mm-hmm. it all about me. Yeah. I still serve an audience. I still, I've been trusted with public money so that I can make this for a very particular audience. But um, yeah, as a creative, I felt quite, um, it, yeah, none of this was for me. Sure. You were mm. spending a lot of energy yeah. considering the needs really and wants of I was really giving a lot and focusing on a lot on outward things. And I was like, you know what? You're allowed to find joy in this too. And in fact, the first time that came up for me was when I was talking to one of my actor friends and they went, so what role are you playing? Are you playing Nai Nai? And I went, I'm not playing a role. And they were like, you're an actor who just got given so much money to make your own series and you didn't cast yourself as the lead. I don't understand what you're yeah. doing. And I was like, oh my God, I need to cast myself. Like a lot of creators of shows put themselves into it and like yeah. and, and do a voice. And why wouldn't you? Now I of think course, about it yeah. because this, the, the show that I had just come off, Quimbo's Quest, I did so many voices on that show. And, yeah. and so I you weren't a stranger identified to voice, as an Yeah, exactly. Mm. It's not like I was just trying it for the first time. Like yeah. I am an actor and I am a voice actor. So I don't know why. But I, th- I just think it's that surface service attitude I had of like this isn't for me. I'm 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 the 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 vehicle so that everyone else can. Sure. Have this. It's a thing I'm producing. Yeah. Rather yeah. than it's my passion project. Absolutely. Well that's the thing. Even though you did have all these um sort of like guidelines and mm. you knew you know you knew what you were making the show for it still is kind of a blank page you don't yep. know when you start off no. what it's going to look like exactly. at the end so it's only by towards the when you start yeah. to get towards the end of the first season yeah. that you can sort of go oh no, this is my show. This is I what know, it is. I and that's very is. normal for a first season uh, for it absolutely. to figure out what it is. And absolutely. it takes a really strong showrunner to come in and say, I'm making all these decisions now. Mm. And it took me a little while to settle into that role of right. I can say no. Yeah. And that doesn't make me a mean person. It doesn't mean I'm not doing my job. It means I'm curating this. 
for yeah, one vision, you've not got multiple a vision. visions. Correct. I think, you know, I and think even if I'm really building important. my vision at the same time, it needs to be just one person building the vision because you just can't have too many voices. It's Absolutely. going to be absolutely. Yeah, it's like they say, it's too show. many cooks. Too many cooks. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Having yeah. one person uh, who makes the final decision is actually can be so crucial to a production. Yeah. yeah. Because I knew that when I, I animated on Tales of Nine Eye, and I knew that. If there was a question I had when animating about the intent of a character or a scene, mm. the person that I could always come down yeah. to for a decision was you. Yeah. Because mm. it was your show. Uh, you wrote many of the scripts. Yeah, I wrote most of them. Uh, you directed all, all of the them. episodes. Yep. All of them, yeah. You're the and, and also, if you had sent through your shots and I was like, they're not quite right, it would have been me giving you notes. Yeah. So it's always good to ask. Excellent. And so then... When you get season two yeah. of Tales of Nine, yeah. how does that feel? That was fantastic mm. because at that point I'd really claimed ownership of the show. Mm. I knew what I was doing. Right. I know that the studio was excited to do a second season. The team had figured out the show and, you know, everyone got their sea legs. So mm-hmm. we were really ready to go for season two. And I also knew what I didn't want. And so I was to be much more sharp and concise about how big my team was, who I wanted as HOD for these different departments, mm-hmm. all that kind of thing. So it was just a much more, um, uh, just it was tighter, mm. but it was COVID. I see, 2020, yes. I submitted right. the pitch in March mm-hmm. 2020 <laughs> during lockdown and we got funded whilst we were coming out of lockdown. And so we went straight into storylining on Zoom. We did a lot of it on Zoom in the early days. That's right. I'm trying to think back on it. and It feels I, so long ago. I, we definitely were animating in the studio. So this must have been just yeah. after the first big, big lockdown. lockdown. Yeah, where we'd spent months away from the in. studio at home yeah. and then we were coming back to the studio. Yeah. How did the funding bodies uh, respond to a pitch for an animated show having just come out of a lockdown? Were they... Were they still fully well, on board? We're so lucky. Yeah, they were on board. We're animation, so we can work from home yep. much easier than most other productions can. Mm. So they actually... Um, uh, I think they pulled up their decisions okay. so that we could get started earlier, um, and 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 Muck Party also were just like, let's jump in, let's let's straight away. I think yep. we spent about two to three weeks in lockdown because we went into a few lockdowns throughout that preceding year. Yeah. Um. So we did. I did a bit of voice recording from home. The actors hiding in their wardrobes, recording there, you sure. know, and that kind of thing. And it's and real glamorous. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and trying to review everyone's shots right. on my little laptop at home was right. very difficult. Um. So yeah, it, it was it was tough. It was shaky, but I think that. Despite the fact that animators can work from home and despite the fact that any everyone's kind of love for the show was still there, COVID um, made everyone further further apart mm. and it made everything a little bit more fraught and um, everything going on in the world. I think it was harder for people to concentrate. It was harder f- to meet deadlines because there was just so much else to deal with. If we weren't in the, the studio and, and also after lockdown, a lot of people didn't want to come back into the studio full time. They still wanted to spend time at home, which mm-hmm. I think is fine because some people work really well at home. Mm-hmm. But it meant that we didn't have the team energy. Yep. It was hard for me to just go and speak to someone because sometimes I'd have to speak to them online and they're not going to reply. The instant communication that comes Absolutely. from sitting next to someone or having an office just down the totally. thing. And the uh, the micro communication that happens totally. from person to person as opposed to on a screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You yep. can sense someone's vibe when they're sitting next to you and they're just very friendly telling you something. Yep. But online it can feel a lot different. So mm. it definitely 
Um, season two overall was better. It was stronger. It was sharper. I knew what it was. Everyone else knew what it was, but we had COVID to battle mm. against. Well, yeah, I guess thank goodness that yeah. you were on season two. I know. Because imagine I doing that for season yeah. one, it would have been. I don't know. I don't a know real uphill struggle, that. wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. it would have been. Yeah. It would have been. Yeah, it was uh, season two. I imagine must have felt a little bit like uh, a victory lap because yep. you'd done your first season, which came with all the challenges of. You haven't produced it mm-hmm. yet. You don't know what the show mm-hmm. is. You don't know if they're going to like it. Yep. Like, you don't know if TV and Z's going to like it, if, if kids are even going to watch it. Sure. Yeah. Res- that was the most terrifying thing. Uh, how have kids uh, responded? Have you heard mm-hmm. directly from parents, yeah, people heaps, that you know? Heaps. Even just the other day, I think two days ago, I heard that it's uh, someone said that it's their kid's favorite show. They really, really like it. They're singing the songs and they're all quoting little things here and there. So it's landed for mm-hmm. sure. That's fantastic. We, yeah. we did a... Uh, cast and crew screening mm-hmm. at uh what's the name of the theater i think the capital the capital yeah. and lots of people bought their kids and families and it was such a great reception yes Everybody... isn't it so interesting to hear what the kids laugh at versus what the adults laugh at? i know i know yeah and yeah. they laugh at kids laugh at things that i was like that's not even funny <laughs> <laughs> if i knew that was funny i would have put more of it in there <laughs> it wasn't a joke that we planned yeah, yeah. i'm glad yeah. it landed but it was just the dog falling off something <laughs> No, Tales of Nine Eye uh, was a really exciting project mm. because we wanted to try something completely different yeah. from uh, from Quimbo's Quest. Yes, very different animation style, very different visually. Totally. The the thing that I remember is Quimbo had a really polished look to it, where every texture, every part of the body had multiple layers. You know, Quimbo was covered in fur and different shadows, and you know, little blushes for the cheeks. You know, placing shadows underneath characters was just another thing to think about. Or a standard thing for a Mud Putty show is lots of secondary action. Mm-hmm. You know, the ears, the hair, all the soft matter. It, it all ripples and bounces. Moves in the wind. And it's all just extra time uh, spent doing work that isn't strictly the performance. So yeah. for Tales of Nine Eye, uh, Mike was our team leader. Yes. Uh, director of animation, we might call him. Um, you know, we, we're, we're not that official. We don't have... Uh, he's the one that's know, telling you to fix a little thing if it doesn't look quite right. Exactly. Yeah. He's, yeah, got a, he's got a good eye for he's animation. Great. Oh, you know, and I learned a lot about animation yeah. from him. Oh, I'm the sure. first season, obviously, I hadn't directed animation before. I didn't know what I was doing. And, and because even in Quimbo, I wasn't dealing with animation. And once my animatic job was finished, I didn't... Yeah, you're on to the next one. I'm on to the next one, yeah. So I never dealt with the animation side of it, so I learned so much from Mike. We would sit down together in season one and go through all your guys' shots together, Mm -hmm. and I would say, hey, this isn't working for this reason. He would explain what it actually was, and then he'd translate my notes for you guys. Second season, I could do it myself, but Mm. I learned so much from him first season. I'm not surprised. Mike is a really good Mm -hmm. person for uh, planning and problem solving before Mm -hmm. things become a problem. Yes. Because you weren't uh, coming from an animation background, if there's just a way that Mike knew how to communicate with uh, with the animators. Well, he's a teacher. He, yeah, he can translate it. into yeah. animation. He's a teacher. The, yeah, we, we spoke about this with Mike as well. Mm. His teaching skills Definitely. have been fantastic yeah. with dealing with like, I've like seen a it large firsthand. crew. Yeah, You know, I've got a note for something or something's not not, not working and he'll go in and he'll teach, mm. you know, and gently and, and with patience and you know, how, to, how, to, how to change this shot for whatever particular outcome we have. And also notes and changes are never because I, it's wrong and bad. It's just because it hasn't met the particular need yeah. of this right. shot. It's not you know? right yeah. for the story. Yeah. And yeah. so having someone like Mike was amazing just yeah. to be able to go in there and know what to do. Yeah, and it was it was really fun because we – we kind of uh, worked from the ground up with Mike. Uh, the characters had been uh, designed by uh, Anna Lee. Is that Anna Lee and Rebecca Tan and together? Rebecca Tan. Yeah, and uh, they came up with a really uh, fun, sweet look. They're uh, 
you know, together they were just a powerhouse. Every new episode, we were excited to see the new characters that they would come up yeah. with. They were always gorgeous. That was they were my favorite part fun. of the process, actually, is seeing the characters come through. Because mm. it's my characters that came out of my head. Mm. And I'll tell Anna and Rebecca, like, a couple lines, like, oh, maybe she's got black hair and maybe she's wearing a dress. I don't know. Let's see what you, you have some fun and, and come back to me and see what you think. Because uh, would, I, would I be correct in saying that uh, drawing is not one of I the cannot, skills that you use? You know, there was, like, I think during Quimbo, there was something like 50-odd people here. Mm-hmm. And I think there's probably two in the building who don't draw. And right. I'm one of them. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it does go to show that uh, drawing ability doesn't necessarily mean no. that the animation industry is out of reach. You know. Exactly. It and it, yeah. Well, that's that's a kind of. I think I feel like if I could give a message to anyone that loves animation, you don't need to be an animator to work in animation. Mm-hmm. And I run my shows, despite the fact that they're animation. I run my shows like they're just shows, the same mm-hmm. way I would run an, a live action show. Mm-hmm. So I'm directing something. I have a vision. I'm directing it, and I'm just communicating with the departments and the contractors, the people. How However, I need to, mm-hmm. and there's no difference between the medium. So if you mm. can't draw, don't worry. You can still work in animation. It's not going to cut you out. Or if you, know, I mean, I do have a background in art, so yep. I'm not completely foreign to it. But I still think that someone could come in as a writer and a director, and direct animation and be brilliant at it. Yeah. And they'll learn, and it will make their live action work stronger. Well, I, actually, I, I, I agree, and I, I do think that um, Mukputty have been quite good at putting together a sort of a motley crew mm-hmm. of animators and and a lot of people came here from animation college and so like you know had a background in animation but there is uh, quite a few people around here who who didn't come from animation yeah. but they they came in they found their their space here mm. and and they thrive you know yeah it's, it's, it's an, an interesting thing is that you're someone who doesn't animate but you love animation mm-hmm. uh where on the other hand there are animators who don't who animation. aren't interested yeah. in watching animation they just love uh they love creating a performance so it's it takes all sorts. Um, Absolutely. And, and I think that's a brilliant thing because mm. I think when you have too narrow a kind of group of people, yeah. you're only going to get one product time and time again. Mm. Yeah. yeah. If you have too many people who all their inspiration comes from cartoons, yes. you end up with cartoons of cartoons. Yeah, exactly. What you were saying a moment ago, you've come from the world of live action, mm-hmm. you've worked in animation, and you're working. I'm back in live action you're now. You're back in live mostly. action. Mostly. I am working on an animated show at the moment, but I am back in live action. Now, I wanted to ask about... Um, what your experience has been going from an animated show mm. back into live action mm-hmm. and what have you carried with you? What are the differences? What are the similarities? Yeah. How has it been? Um, I mean, cause I never, I, I never really saw too much of a difference between the two. And I was up against a lot of attitudes that were like, Oh, well you've only done animations so or okay. you don't know anything. And then I was also up against a lot of attitudes of like, you've only done kids animation. I, I, a little bit of the attitude is leaving, especially as I push back and I say, no, here's what I did as a director. Here's what I planned. Here's, here are my tasks and mm-hmm. here's how I worked with my team. Um, so I, I don't think I've noticed too much of a difference. I think that I still feel a little bit intimidated by the, the, I guess the, I want to say the technical side of, of live action because I don't know too much about cameras yet. <laughs> right. Yep. But then also, you know, I was recently working with a director who said, I don't know about cameras either, but I don't hold the camera. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. do I have a DP for that. That's right. Sure. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so I'm so really. So you trust kind of, your DP. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, it's the same thing as just talking to your team. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my, my biggest, uh, the person I worked with, I guess the closest, especially on season two was Rebecca Tan, mm-hmm. our, our character designer for season two and the storyboard artist. And she's kind of like my DP. Yeah. If I didn't know something, I'd be like, Rebecca, what do you think about this thing? Or I want to achieve this particular thing. What do you think is the best way to achieve that? And she would 
help me because mm-hmm. it's her expertise. And so I've realized that that's, it's that same thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to set up a lighting rig. Sure. But someone else does. Mm-hmm. And I say, I need this. I need it to look like this. I need it to feel like this. And they go and do it. So um, I'm definitely learning that there's no, there's no, there's no big difference mm-hmm. that I, I, I need to communicate my vision. I need to do my prep work. I need to be very clear about what I want. It is that thing of I've had such a fantastic foundation. Mm-hmm. I can speak to color and design and mood and framing and size I think so much clearer than a lot of live action directors who've never experienced animation will be able to. Mm-hmm. And I think that typically speaking, animation directors who move into live action envision things that are maybe a little bit larger than life. Right. And I would say that's good because you're creating something that's interesting. Yeah. And I think I also come at live action from a problem solving mindset. <sighs> so instead of like, here's what we have to film, just set up the camera and film it. I'm like, okay, but what else can we do? Mm-hmm. I want the character to drop in from the sky. I want you know, all these, you know, it makes it more dynamic and more interesting. I believe. I might be wrong. People might watch my work and be like, it's too much. <laughs> she needs to chill. <laughs> no, no, I, I oh, fully agree. Style, yeah. yeah, I think I just learned through animation that there's just so many elements that go into mm. creating the experience for the audience. Yep. And it's just so far beyond, like, we're going to put the actor in this outfit and then we're going to place them here and we're going to put a big blue light on and that's it, we're done. Yeah. There's so much else that goes into it. And so I'm so grateful that this was my foundation as a director because I think it set me up really well. Do you do you use storyboards for live action or or is it a case of just a conversation with it with your I DLP? think there's I mean some directors do and some directors don't. Mm. I think I'm gonna be one of those directors that wants to. Mm. Um I was on a documentary series. No no use in trying to sure, you yeah, know with a documentary not, yeah, series. Yeah. I'm on a small series at the moment, and I think we will storyboard because we're a vertical series. So it's for TikTok. So it's vertical being, it's the, vertical the, being right, uh, it's, okay, you know, the, on the your phone. It's, it's yeah. so you can watch it on your phone. Right. So if, just simply from a framing perspective, because of what we're used to, I think I'm going to have to really plan where the character's going to stand because yeah. they can't stand side by side anymore. They're going to have to stand course, up correct, and yeah. down. So yeah. many TikToks that I watch, um, often it'll be one person in a room filming themselves. They will, out of necessity, because of that tall, thin frame, they will film every conversation by cutting to one person, then back Absolutely. to another. Because like you say, they can't yeah. stand side by side. Are you allowed to talk a little bit about yes. uh, the live action work that you have been doing and are working on? Yeah, absolutely. So the the show that I'm on at the moment is called Long and Share. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, 10 episode TikTok series funded by New Zealand On Air. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be launching hopefully mid-year, but obviously it's COVID, so we keep getting pushed back. There's all these limitations. Of course. Um, so we're, we're actively working on that at the moment, working on the story. And it's about these two uh, Chinese Kiwi cousins who steal a live lobster from a Chinese restaurant <laughs> and go on the run. Right. Okay. <laughs> Sounds great. So. so- so it's a one story arc over yeah. t- like what ten, ten episodes? episodes yeah. yeah, but they're yeah. one minute episodes. Excellent. So good luck to me. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. we, we yeah. were talking to Ryan earlier uh, about um, the challenge of Vine. Back when Vine was mm, a thing, remember Vine? Uh, I know that oh, TikTok yeah. you can have up to a couple of minutes. We actually have up to ten now. Oh, ten really? minutes, but we're going to try and lock it off at one. Keep it short, Keep, eh? Yeah. yeah. Well, really, really like. What do you think of the TikTok audience? Exactly. They're only watching. Yeah. 10 seconds anyway. Absolutely. 100%. I, that's what I really like about it. Yeah. I, I love this real short form. Mm-hmm. Like, but what I do is um, we put on like TikTok compilations mm-hmm. on YouTube. Yes. So I'll watch like the funny a half stuff, an hour yeah, of yeah. short stuff and it's really, it's but good. Because it's such short amount, each story keeps you interested. If you get, if one is, if does one doesn't land, it's like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's, it's fine. It's, it's over. over. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Having that limitation of yes. one minute. Yeah. Can you tell um, this story in one minute? How yeah. are you going to fill that time? Yeah. So every, I, every word, every second absolutely. absolutely counts. Totally. And I think more is in, in this case, like if you cram it in. And that was actually my approach to Nana as well, because I always wanted Nana to be really 
really energetic mm. and I didn't want any lag time. And so I would make, uh, I would end up writing um, some of the, the, the scripts were coming in at 16 pages okay. for a 10 minute episode. That's too much. So they would, some of them were creeping up towards 12 minutes, but they were jam packed, mm. jam, jam, jam packed. And that's, that was the key. So same, same with this TikTok series. It's going to be absolutely jam packed mm. because if you look away for a second, which you will on TikTok yeah. and yeah, you're ready yeah, to swipe <laughs> and something, and you know that whatever in your head, you know that whatever's coming next is better. So you're ready to go. Yeah. We truly are. We're, we're, we're like, we're like the modern day uh, Roman emperors, you know, mm. we've got our thumb and the second it dips, <laughs> that person falls through the trap door. Absolutely. Bring on the next one. No, I feel Absolutely. bad about it sometimes because I'm lo- I'm watching stuff that people have clearly worked mm-hmm. hard on and are proud of, and I'm just like, nah. Yeah. You know, because it's not my mood right it's now like Tinder, or whatever. Isn't it? Yeah. Swiping, well, I, you don't know why you're swiping. I don't know about Tinder yet. Like, <laughs> luckily, I've, well, I say luckily because to me that feels like putting yourself on a, on a blind date. It's terrible. And I would never do that to myself. Tinder's terrible. I pay to win. Every couple of months, I pay the $20 to look behind the paywall. Here are all the people that have liked me. You, 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 the rest can leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the rest can go. Thank you for this information. <laughs> yeah, that's really exciting. Um, where where will we be able to see this? TikTok. Yeah. Um, Do you know, are you guys going to have an account specifically yes. for, yeah. for Long and Share? Be, yeah, okay. specifically for Long and Share. It actually already exists, so you can go find it. It's called Long and it's called Long Shower Series. And uh, always helpful, we always spell out our names for socials. How do people spell that? So Long that and Shower, L-O-N-G-X-I-A. Okay. X-I-A. Um, and if the end is in there, we it's just actually just a little X for the end because we're trying to be cool with the kids. Right. Yep. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, but you'll see it kind of, you, you'll see it, it'll be promoted and, it'll, it'll, you know, it'll be coming it'll be coming out pretty loud and clear um, around about the time that we're releasing it because TikTok's behind it as well. So they're supporting it too. So exciting. Yeah. Excellent. That's going to be fun. So hopefully mid year, we'll see how we go. COVID's COVID. Everyone's tired as well. Everyone's yeah. really tired right mm. now. So it's really hard to do anything. And everyone's working on the tail end of small. I'm on a lot of small projects right now. Mm-hmm. Whereas Tales of Nine it was just Tales of Nine So all day, every day, I was a Nine Eye. Yep. But at the moment, my brain's a little bit ping-ponging around. All oh, wow. So that is, do you find that hard to oh, switch so gears? Hard. It's so hard. But I mean, it's hard anyway. Sometimes I like it because it can be a little bit of diversity just to kind of like to switch your thinking. But sure. um, it's hard at the moment. We've been two years of COVID. We've been yep. two years of in and out of lockdown. We don't know what's happening. There's a world war going on right now. So yep. it's really hard to concentrate on anything in the moment. Uh, yeah. People have said like, we've all, it's the, it's, Still, really, the beginning of the year. It We've is. just come back from our from what's been our big Are you guys already break. tired? We're all pretty I'm tired. tired. We're just finding it hard to keep the energy up. Yeah. And I think part of that is that uh, we're not seeing as many people. And for a lot of people, yeah. they get their batteries charged by totally. interacting with people. Absolutely. And also just like the routine of going to work, yeah. coming to an office, going to work, doing a work, and then going and having a weekend, seeing your friends, whatever. We mm. don't have a lot of that at the moment mm. because, like, I mean, I'm trying not to see people. Yeah. Because I, I don't want to transmit COVID. Of course. You know. So yeah, it's a little it's a little tough to concentrate on anything at the moment. But I think little projects can be tough as well because um, so many of them are early stages or they're um, tail end or it's like it was going to be filming now, but now it's been pushed back for months and months and months because of COVID and because of other shows that people are on. So I'm finding myself a little bit like, oh, God, today I'm doing five things, but I'm also doing no things. Right. You know? Right. Yeah, uh, it's a bit tough. Yeah, I would find that very difficult. Because even like, you know, I don't know if you feel this, Josh, mm-hmm. uh, when you animate, you kind of get your flow. You do. And then when something else comes along mm-hmm. that you have to do, even if it's like, you know, you, you check the task, she's like, oh, I've got fixes to do or I've got exports yeah. to do and I better do that now. It's like, oh, my flow gone. is flow just is gone. wrecked. Absolutely. Uh, Yesterday I was uh, at my station and I had several projects on the go 
both for work and personally, trying to organize uh, my life outside of work. And I would find like every two minutes I'm switching my brain yeah. from one thing to another. And you end up doing nothing. You, you end up getting nothing done. Yeah. And with with uh, creative work where you need to be thinking about uh, the meaning yeah. behind the scene, how it fits into the show. And how to make it funnier. And how to that's make the, it funnier. That's yeah, the you're weird holding thing so is many like, things you're always, in your head. But you're, like, especially at this time when, well, like you're saying, all this stuff is going on yeah. in the world and we're trying to make something funny. Yes. I you know, know that feels really, really weird, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really does. A lot of comedians on social media are finding that. They're like, I'm not posting my normal stuff because mm. it feels really disrespectful right now. It feels right. inappropriate to yeah. post funny little jokes about stuff. Yep. But conversely, people are leaning uh, and relying on media for an escape more than ever. Well, that's And that's something that we should have really kept front and centre, especially throughout COVID, throughout mm. lockdown, is that you know, as soon as everyone was in their homes... Or if they weren't working, what did they do? They turned on their TV. Yeah, well, and just, that's us. That's, yeah. that's us that makes that work. It, it goes to show how some people have a very, I don't know, Ayn Rand view of society that you know the people that are important are the people who make buildings and produce food. <laughs> yeah. and one hundred percent, we need those. Sure. But just what as do you important turn to, as in times in, in tough times, what do you turn to? Is we need the arts yeah. because yeah. whether you're reading a book or listening to music or you know anything. Uh, it's all it's all artists who dream this stuff up, and so as a society, we want to make sure that these people are being paid yeah. and that they can keep doing it. Absolutely, and I think the same goes for all types of entertainment as well. Because I yeah. think we like to bag on entertainment and be like, "Oh, this show's not very good," but we have to understand that this show serves a purpose. Yeah. You know, soap operas—they serve yeah. a very particular purpose, and there's a reason they're successful. There's a reason why they last for years and years. Absolutely, they serve um, a purpose. My 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 family. Uh, watch soap operas mm. and it is easy to dismiss well the acting's not very good or this story isn't realistic it's not about that you know i think when i was a a, a, a snotty sarky teenager i was probably a little bit more nah, this show's stupid oh yeah. she came back from the dead again <laughs> <laughs> but now i'm like hey I, I think I get what my, uh, what's for instance, my mom is getting out of Coronation Street. Absolutely. You know, it's Absolutely. it's like neighborhood gossip, mm-hmm. uh, but on a bigger scale that she can enjoy without, uh, you know, personally being involved in. And it allows her to step out of her day. Yeah. And that's the reason why often these shows are on in the evening. Yes. you come home from work. I used to watch Home and Away every single night mm-hmm. because it was, they've, they were like a second family. Yeah. And I got to go home and watch Home and Away, and it was someone else's drama. Yeah. But I got to switch off. I got to not think about my life for half yeah. an hour. I, I can go and live on. Uh, what is it? What, what's the fictional town called in Home and Away? Summer, Summer Bay. Bay. Summer yeah. Bay. Yeah. I knew it was something Bay. You get. I, I get to escape Aww. and imagine life living on this beautiful Summer beach, Bay. where my problem is, uh, you know, who I'm dating this week. Yeah. Every time I come in and see Home and Away on the TV, what I he- basically hear someone saying is, "You can't tell Sandy; it'll crush her." <laughs> so accurate. <laughs> That's so beautiful. But every everybody watches, uh, you know, TV for uh, escapism. You know, people, I think that's the key thing is when people started binging. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, I think there's a lot of like because I when I when I'm binging, I know I'm spiraling mentally, so like, yeah. <laughs> I, I have to notice and be like, right, you need to go outside. But also, as we binge because we love it, and, mm-hmm. and if we're continuously seeking that escape and that entertainment, that's telling us something that the arts is very important, that the work that we do is very important. Yeah. But we also need to acknowledge that those of us who are making this work still live in the same context as everybody else. And mm. we still need escapism. And it's still really difficult for us to come to work and focus and do these things. Mm. We have challenges. 
personally, but we've also got challenges that everyone else is dealing with. So um, the arts has been hit really hard, I think, because funding is difficult to access mm-hmm. and um, uh, certain governments or certain funding bodies are going to get more conservative at times and sometimes they're more generous, whatever, whatever. COVID did a lot. did a number on, on, on the industry, but also did a number on us personally. Yeah. You know, and we as a studio have been through a lot together the last four years. We've been through a lot together, including Definitely. COVID. So, um, I don't know. I feel like I just want to give a shout out to everyone and be like, that's amazing what we've done. Yeah. The I amount think of yeah. shows we've made, the amount of yeah. seasons we've made. Aren't you guys up to like season 20 million of the drawing uh, show? Yeah. The yeah. drawing show has been a runaway hit. We've done quite a few. Pippi Ma. Pippi Ma. going Ma keeps on going. Yeah. That's, that's, believe a new season of that mm-hmm. yeah season five or six yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it is the mucks it, keep coming up with new content as well they keep churning it out that's incredible too yeah. like, they've always know, got yeah, ideas i don't know how they do it how, i mean, I, I mean they, i've been in the room when the three of them just start kicking off yeah, yeah. And, and and it i don't even think they often say hey let's come up with a show they'll I just, come they just up start with messing with each yeah. other and then someone will go hey yeah, that would make funny. a good show, you yeah. know, and, and they make a note of it. They were the greatest resource for me anytime I was stuck mm. in a script. I'd be like, well, what should happen here? And they would, off they go. I'd be like, something yeah. funny needs to happen here to serve this purpose. And they would, off they go. Yeah, yeah. They're incredible. They, 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 they play. They're yeah, players. They play. like, yeah. they're, they're players. They're players. <laughs> yeah. They're no, not, but, if anyone knows. Yeah. <laughs> no, God, no. They're, they're, they're workaholics <laughs> is what they are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But they're goofy, they're goofy workaholics yeah. in that. Like, they definitely like to, they're in it to entertain each mm-hmm. other. Yeah, and, and and it's just lucky that animation tends to come. Well, it's out like of perfect that. for if you know these guys, it's perfect. It's a perfect line of work for them. Yeah, but it's, it's a really interesting thing that they can still play because I think broadly speaking, as adults, we stop playing. Yeah. But you know, one of the key uh, messages that you you always get as an actor in any kind of acting class, any kind of acting training is you play. You need to come here and play, mm-hmm. and actors have to relearn how to play. Right. Yeah, and you come to a place like this, and like if anyone's seen this studio, it's full of toys. Like it's full of people who are playing. People come in and go like, "Is this is this some sort of preschool?" Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but I think that you know that for me actually, when I first those first few shaky weeks when I first started in 2018, and I was like, "I'm they're going to kick me out. I'm I don't belong here. I've only got one friend here. I'm not like anybody else." Been there. And everyone, I, like, half you guys, I feel like you knew each other already. Mm. Um, when I saw that everyone was bringing in their squishy toys i was like oh because i secretly have like so many plushies mm-hmm. right that's my weird little thing i got yep. and it's not even weird so in this context it's not weird so yeah, not, not at all you're really coming not. down into my office and you're going to see a shelf full of plushies mm-hmm. and that that i fit right in here and that's yeah. beautiful i found yeah. my people yeah, yeah. whereas yeah. Uh, a standard office, I no. imagine you wouldn't be going and telling them that no. this is what I spend my <laughs> spare money on. This is what I spend yeah. my money on. Big squishy toys. Do you remember yeah. when we did a group order of those squishables? I do. We did a group order of plushies in this studio. Yeah, we did. We did. I got I got a big um, cat bug from Greatest Warriors, mm-hmm. the the big cute ladybug. People got like a uh, cacti with little smiling I faces. I got a woolly mammoth and I called him Marge. Wonderful. Nice. Wonderful. <laughs> no, we love, love our soft toys here. Yeah. I think it's great. I think there's a really beautiful culture here that allows people to be themselves and to express themselves. Yeah. And what I've really loved seeing over the last couple of years especially is everyone really stretch their legs and be like, look, I was in storyboarding or I was in, I was an animator, but I actually really like doing this other thing mm-hmm. and I'm going to head towards that. I think that's a really great thing. And for myself, having been so emotionally committed for so long to being an actor mm-hmm. and then learning pretty loud and clear that like I still love acting, I still do it, but – that I have other strengths. I mean, I always wanted to be a writer-director. That was always on the cards and that was always on my vision boards and it's in my journals. I've got proof of it. But 
I was just so sure that success for me was going to look like being an actor. And it wasn't until an opportunity really came and smacked me in the face mm-hmm. and said, you actually, this might work for you. This might actually be something else. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of realized like we shouldn't, we shouldn't tie ourselves up in this industry to one job and we should really invest. If you have an inkling, you should investigate. Totally. So many times I've, I've been working with people and I've said, what is it that you want to do? Because if I can offer you a job, if I can help you get into that avenue, I will. It's such a beautiful thing becoming someone who can offer a job oh, I and give someone a leg up because I know how hard it is. And it's particularly hard when you're a woman. It's particularly hard when you're a person of color. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I saw your season one, I was finding my legs. And I know for a fact that I was walking around this place and people were like, that's not what a boss looks like. That's not what a director looks like. And it took a little while for all of us, myself included, to figure out, yeah, this is a 29-year-old first-time director who you've never seen one like me before, but I am I am that, yep. yeah. you know, yeah. and there's, there's no reason why I shouldn't be here and I'm doing the job okay. You know, yeah. I'm finding I'm doing it okay. Absolutely. And going from uh, being one part of the process mm-hmm. to being the person at the top <laughs> yeah. who makes the With calls. all the responsibility. Yeah. You're the last person standing when you're the director. I, I do yeah. remember there was one time, um, I think it was – might have been Christmas Eve or something. It was it was late in the year and we were all partying here. Yeah. We were actually out on the deck at the you know where, oh, the, yeah. where the barbecues. And I looked into your room and you were sitting in there yeah. working away. Yeah. And like I was super impressed, but yeah. also kind of heartbroken yeah. <laughs> at the same time. You know because there was, yeah. there was this that's how it, holiday going on. But that's it. That's mm. kind of how you get your shows made. Like totally, you do have to make those sacrifices. You do, especially in the early days. And yeah. my focus for the next few years, especially if Nane does carry on, is I want to build a bigger team. Mm-hmm. I want more directors, more producers on board, more writers on board, so I don't have to do because I was working like all yeah. day. I, mean, I was in. You right. normally the last in the office, weren't you, Josh? I, I start late and I finish late, so I would often see you. And it would be you or me, the yes, last one. The to last lock in the up. office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I had unfortunately been there all day. Yeah. And that was that that was that's just the reality of it is that you have to wear so many hats and and um I didn't have the money to pay someone else to come in and do it so I would just do it myself. I did mm. animatics in the first season as well mm. on top of directing, writing, producing, all of it. Um but you know my 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 focus was on growth. How do I bring more people in who can do this too? Um, so that I don't have to be because I don't I actually don't think it's glamorous and and it's not a cute story to be working on Christmas Eve. It's not no. it's not great to be in the office at 10 p.m. every night. No. We glamorize the hustle, but it's actually really not good. We see and so I actually, many. You know, it's been six months since Tales of Nine Eight season two delivered, and I'm still recovering. Right, I'm right. Still yeah. feeling the yeah. effects of yeah. two and a half years nonstop because okay. season two and season one would have come back to back. I had about, just about a month off. Yeah. Um. So I'm still feeling the effects the, of that. Just the energy and the emotional expenditure. Absolutely. Of delivering a show like delivering a child. Yeah. Yeah. And it's you so altogether, it's basically three years, and I'm stepping out of it now, kind of going like, oh, who am I? Right, I had my crisis right. actually just a few weeks ago okay. where I went, who am I? Because yep. I had a pretty large project. It didn't necessarily fall through, but it didn't get where I wanted it to go, so I'm going to have to rejig it and send it to another place, and okay. that's fine. But it was, it felt like a really big, um, the air came out of the balloon really mm. suddenly, and I'd gone from nine eye straight onto another one, straight onto another one, straight onto another one, and then I had had nothing. Yeah. And yeah. then I was finally able to go, who am I and what am I doing as a director? Where do I want to go? So, yeah, it's interesting how how lasting that, that momentum can be. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we've touched on quite a few really crucial things. Uh, like, well, number one, the the sheer amount of work that it takes to uh, to run a show. It's it's enormous. I talked um, to the mucks about it now. I remember just just maybe one or two weeks ago, I messaged Ryan and I was like, remember Quimbo, those were such good days. And he was like, no, they weren't. And I was like, you're right. Because if someone was like, remember Taylor Nine, that was so much fun. And I was like, for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, you you do you work ridiculously hard. And yeah. when, when you're it, like doing the job, do you, what do you do to unwind? Like, like, do you take weekends? 
I or, would uh, season two. I always made sure I had one weekend day. Okay. Right. Season one, I wasn't able to guarantee that. Yeah. Um, but season two, I had an animag editor, so at least I had some help. Yeah, and you yeah. sometimes do have to fight for that. Just yeah. not against anyone in particular, but just yourself uh, yeah. to make sure that Fully. you have that time. Absolutely. And I was like, you, you can still message me if you want to. I'll still reply to your messages, but I'm, I won't be working. So I, I feel like I already know uh, what the answer to this question will be, given how hard mm. that you work. But uh, when you're outside of work uh, in your spare time, you're not producing yeah. things. You're not writing for fun or making a show for fun or anything like that because you do that for work that's your job Mm -hmm. and it's fun and it's rewarding Mm -hmm. and you do get to play but it's also just so much work because personally speaking i know that when i go home the last thing that i'm doing is uh, getting onto the computer and animating (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. Mm. i i don't yet have that thing and it's kind of what i'm searching for at the moment is you know like i said like i'm learning who i am right now now that now that this kind of three four years is kind of ended what do I do and who am I so I'm trying to learn what I want to go and do and at the moment it's just I'm starting really small just kind of building up my my identity outside of filmmaking and it's just little things like I'll go for a walk with a friend yeah. We'll drive somewhere mm. and we'll go for a nice bushwalk or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or I'll go to the, the sea or look at the water. It's, it's so Just important, little things. Uh, as you say, uh, about identity, not tying yourself up so close to what you do that your job is who you are. Because exactly. I, th- I think some, maybe, I think it's it must be people outside of the industry who do that, who think, you know, if I were a filmmaker, if I were a showrunner, mm. if I were a creator, that would just be my whole life. Yeah. And to a degree, it can become that, but you have to actively fight against that yeah. current. Because well, I think the system itself needs to change, like fundamentally it needs sure. to change. And we're, we're working in, a, in, in an industry that's drastically underfunded. Mm-hmm. We don't have, really have a lot of private funding in New Zealand, so you're relying on the small pool of public funding that's available to you. Mm-hmm. We don't have networks, we don't have studios. Well, we have networks, we've got like two, three of them, right? This is not a lot, not a, a lot couple, of options to get your, you know, your, your work seen. So you either look internationally and that requires even more work mm-hmm. or you um yeah you kind of just work with within the framework of what you have and that yeah it's i think that what that feeds for us is this constant hustle mentality yeah. and i felt that very much at the end of season or, or i would say part way through season two of tales of nine i was like i am in the middle of the hugest workload of my life and yet i have to think about what i do when this finishes because yeah. i still need a paycheck mm-hmm. once mm. this all is all over so i even had my mind on what comes next and i jumped straight into a new show yeah. it ended up being a really bad fit and i did walk away from it mm-hmm. and i mean that in itself was devastating because i just boiled down to the fact that i needed a job mm-hmm. um but yeah you just we, we we're so 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 focused on it and and i think there's a functionality to that because it's not like you apply for a job and get it next week yeah if you apply for funding you might go into development mm-hmm. and you're spending six to 12 months on development and then you may or may not get production funding so your paycheck takes a long time to arrive in your bank account Mm -hmm. and you're doing all of this legwork to get there so it makes a lot of sense that you plan ahead Mm -hmm. and that you're always trying to work on something like i say i'm working on so many small projects at the moment only two to three of them are in production like have production funding the rest of them have development funding or they may or may not get production funding at some point but Mm -hmm. i I need to get them off the ground somehow Mm. yeah you've got to be thinking you have to be thinking a year two years down the track and you can't just have one thing you can't no. just be offer one thing and then they say no and then you're crushed you have to offer like you don't like that well i've got this too mm-hmm. well this yeah. other opportunity comes up and i'm ready to go because i've got this thing ready so it, there's there is a functionality to to um to constantly hustling but from a, a human perspective it's very bad yeah and now that i'm in my early 30s i'm kind of like this is not how i want to live my life i'm very tired i think also everything that's happened in the last couple of years has taught us what's important and what's not mm-hmm. so i'm trying to really center myself and go do i want to do this and if i don't want to do this i'm going to say no to it yeah and i'm going to just hopefully try and trust that 
another job will come along, you know. Yeah, yeah you gotta, absolutely. You've got to take the chance, really. You do. Yeah. And, and, and what's the payoff, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm not going to be happy and well even if I get a paycheck. Yeah, obviously I've got to pay my bills, but yeah, what what is the payoff? I know that's a very privileged thing to say, but what's the payoff? I yeah. don't want to be miserable. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, um, I have known a number of people uh, in my life who are coming away from jobs, uh, choosing to move away from jobs that have just been pushing them too hard. Mm -hmm. uh, and... It's a really good decision to make. I absolutely support it. But the difficult part is what you have to, meet, have to meet your material needs. How do I yeah. pay bills? How do I keep a roof over my head? But then also uh, when they do find uh, themselves with that extra time, um, either because they're not working or they find a place that gives them a better work-life balance, they suddenly discover they have all this free time on their hands. And like you're saying, who am I? Mm -hmm. What do I do when I'm not working? Because that's all I've been doing for such a long absolutely. time. Mm. And it's... It's a challenge, but uh, hopefully it's a good problem to have. Yeah, yeah, definitely a good problem. It's a very nice problem to have. Mm. But um, I think, yeah, I think when you're the type of person who's – I've always been very career-focused. Mm. And, in fact, when I was um, – I, I quit university. I did I did one semester doing interior and spatial design. So I do – that's why I, okay. I do come from an art background. But um, I quit because I wanted to be an actor and I definitely wasn't going to be a designer. And then mm. I went traveling because I knew – I knew I wanted to be an actor and I knew I was never going to put my career aside. So I went traveling. I did my big OE, did two years in London and all around Europe and stuff so I could get it done. Right. Because I was like, <laughs> I'm never going to, like, when, when I'm a little older, I'm not going to take two years off and go traveling. So so from about the age of 21, I've been nonstop. That's over 10 years now. Mm. I've been nonstop. And, and you were probably dead right on in that assessment because I imagine There's no way with the work you've been doing, off. there has not been time for an OE. There's not been no. time for a big getaway. And I wouldn't prioritize that anymore. Right. Which is foolish because I think I, what I learned on my OE and what you learn on on that kind of experience is I imagine so that's invaluable. something that comes back around though, I'd isn't hope it? So. Yeah. I'd yeah. really hope so. Yeah. yeah. Um like like certainly when, when I first moved to New Zealand, it was supposed to be like I'll come here for five years yeah. and then I'll go back to Ireland. And then I'll come back to New Zealand for five years and yeah. then I'll go back to Ireland. You know, and that just did not work out. Yeah. You know, like life took over and 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 now I do want to go back and, you know, because after COVID, mm. I'd love to go back and see everybody again. But now there's a war, you know. Exactly. And so it's like, and, and also um, when you get older, it gets harder to do that thing. So you really, you really have to want it. Yeah. Uh, if you want to get into travel and stuff, you, you kind of like. Well, well, for me, if I can't just get on a plane. Right. I have to get four people on a plane. Exactly. So I really have to plan this stuff ahead, and you yeah. really have to want it. Yeah. Um, but I do like. I do think it will come back around. I will be traveling again. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed. And I think, uh, yeah, you should do it as well. Like, I, yeah, like, you know, I, it's like in this my could blood, be a good time. Like, um, obviously, you say you do have a lot of things going on, but like I really that that being sort of even months after. Tales of Nine I ended still feeling mm -hmm. th that kind of exhaustion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like Sounds that like totally speaks to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And 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 that's all it will take. Like oftentimes just a little holiday mm -hmm. uh just to recharge the I batteries know, a little and, breath and of things like that. And yeah. there's there's I there's no way that you visited all the countries that we traveled <laughs> to in Tales of right? I haven't seen yet. Yeah. <laughs> Is there any place in particular that you would be keen to see or if you simply not had time to think about it because i know i haven't i've, uh, no, I've I put haven't holidaying really out of planned, my mind like yeah. what's next but you know what i feel very drawn to ta uh, to asia because mm -hmm. i haven't been mm -hmm. to asia anywhere in asia since i think about 2010 okay and that was hong kong very very briefly um so having having lived in vietnam even though i'm not vietnamese having lived just in southeast asia where mm -hmm. my family is from was such a beautiful experience but i was a child i was eight nine ten mm -hmm. so i want to go back and actually 
do the thing where you you, you figure out where you're from and you you find you know just just kind of immerse myself a little bit. Yeah. Um, I feel very drawn to that. So that might be my next trip. That sounds yeah, exciting. That yeah. sounds like a good idea. Yeah. yeah I think everyone sure. should do that. I think everyone should go investigate where they're from. Yeah. You know, yeah. even if there's there's no family yeah. left there anymore. You know, I think I think our heritage is so important. It speaks so much to who we are and what we believe in and mm. all that kind of stuff. Even on, on, on uh, for children and on a basic level, you look around and you don't see people like you. And that all comes back to why Tales of Nana exists and yep. why I do the work that I do. But it, just for myself, like if I'm in a room full of Asian people, despite the fact that I'm mixed, I'm only half Asian, I'm half Asian, half Pakeha, I just feel, I feel so held and so loved and so in, in a place where I'm like everybody else. Mm-hmm. I might have to go to Hawaii to look like other people. Okay. <laughs> Well, that hey, might have to, and that's not the worst thing. Not the worst place to visit. Yeah, mm. I want to go somewhere where there's a lot of mixed people. Mm. That for me, when I mix, when I meet a mixed person, especially if they're mixed Asian, I lose my mind. Mm. I lose my mind. Mm. Right. So special to see someone who's, who's like you. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. Mm. Maggie and Michael are. They're full Chinese. They're full Chinese. And do you know show. what? They're also they're Chinese. Like Nana's Mandarin speaking. Um, mm-hmm. I have a place where Nana comes from. Um, Somewhere China. Um, no, I, I, I don't know where the family's from because I, didn't, I never placed them because I didn't really, sure. f- I didn't feel like I needed to. Yes. Um, but I do know that they're Chinese and they're Mandarin speaking, but my family is not. And I remember when I had delivered season one and a friend of mine had um, had seen it, she sat me down. She was like, oh, so you speak Chinese? And I was like, no. And she's like, Cantonese? And I was like, no. And she's like, well, what? And I was like, well, my family speaks a branch of a branch of a branch of Cantonese. Like mm-hmm. we speak Teochew and that's that's a really small niche language. And she's like, why did you not at least make the family Cantonese speaking? And this is what I was saying before about me feeling in service to this work. I didn't even make it about myself. You mm-hmm. know, I didn't make, I want to make a Chinese Malaysian character, you know, because that's me, that's my family. And like, if anyone knows Chinese Malaysian, that's like culture in itself. Like that's its own thing. So I don't know. If I could tell anyone to make things specific, you know, it doesn't matter how niche it is. You've got to make it about you. Yeah. Well, in some ways, that is kind of radical in its own way. Yes. Like, we, there is a lot of exploration of specific cultures. They go to these different countries, learn about uh, their <laughs> myths, their stories. But then the fact that the parents, you don't need to know exactly where they're no. from to... Uh, to understand this family, mm-hmm. to like these mm-hmm. characters. It all boils down to the humanity of it anyway. And yeah. I was thinking um, just recently about when people, um, I think a review came out oh, it was yesterday for a film that's just about to launch. And okay. re- reviewed it through <gasps> their eyes. You know what I'm talking I about. I think I know you? the exact one you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and they were like, this isn't for me. And it was really exhausting and I hated it. And The word they used that I caught was they said, some Pixar movies are universal. Yeah. And the movies that they're talking about are usually ones with you know, I'll say uh, it, Lar- largely say it. white creative exactly. stuff. The voice actors are white. So even if the characters aren't uh, mm-hmm. humans, they're white coded. Yep, and exactly. that to them means universal. Yep. And this other one means niche. This taking show has taking an Asian one class. step into empathy mm-hmm. with someone who is not exactly like yeah. he was too much for that reviewer. And I think that's a shame. It shocks me because ultimately the, what we create is not about the actual specifics. It's about the human relationship. So if their problem is I've lost my Tamagotchi, mm-hmm. you don't have to be someone who had a Tamagotchi to understand that it sucks when you lose something that matters to you. No. It's the feeling of having lost something and maybe it was someone else's and you borrowed it and now you're scared that your friend's going to be mad at you. Yeah. If you can't empathize with that, that's an issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you've been in that situation. You have. So, And that's what, it, that's what it's all about. It's about love, empathy, relationships. That's what all our stories are about. So why should some people not ever get that? Yeah, when, absolutely. It, when the character mm. looks like them and sounds mm. like them. It's it's one of the um, 
It's one of the things that the famous film critic uh, Roger Ebert said. One of the special things that movies does uh, is generate empathy. Yeah. Because no matter what the character looks like, and especially with animation, the character doesn't have to be human. The character can be an inanimate object, but we can empathize with that thing. We, we empathize can... with Wally. Yeah. Mm, That's yeah. a robot. Mm. Humans are... Most humans are extremely good at empathizing. Yeah. We will we will uh, we will anthropomorphize a favorite oh, chair anything. or anything, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, so when someone's trying to say I don't empathize with this, it's not interesting to me. You're letting your prejudice get in the way. Yeah. You're letting your prejudice cloud your judgment and I think that's a real shame. Mm. That's really sad. But sure you know, is. people like us we just get out there and we ca- we carry on making this work that speaks to a wide a wide audience of people. Yeah. And mm. also speaks to specificity and teaches people that they can love anything and they can Yeah. Adults watch Tales of Nine all the time, mm-hmm. and they just go, "This is great." And I'm not tooting my horn; I just mean that they're watching a kids' show. Yeah, go, this is one, and this is not even just the Asian ones; it's like all of them, you know. Yeah, it's funny, and it was supposed to be. Absolutely, you know? yeah, yeah. No, we're we're things. always uh, looking for ways to break down that that barrier, that particular kind mm-hmm. of prejudice that animation equals children absolutely it does not it's like well again to what you were saying like oh it's for kids it must be made by kids yeah no it's written by us (laughs) believe it or not adults want to make things that are entertaining for them as well even if it's appropriate for the children to be watching and enjoying well becky it's been a fantastic conversation we definitely have not covered everything we wanted to talk about so uh we'd love to have you back yeah i'll come back in the future because you know muck putty i'll be around once you've when when you've been a month, the, the door team. is always open. That's it. Yeah, yeah. You, you never it's get beautiful. out. <laughs> uh, so, uh, where can we find you on uh, social media? Are you on social media? I'm on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Becky Quick. Mm-hmm. Just my name. Cool. And uh, the spelling of your last name? K U E K. Perfect. Good luck remembering it. No one remembers it. Excellent. <laughs> and uh, people should be looking out on TikTok for Long and Share. Long and Share. It'll be out oh, hopefully mid year. Cool. I'm working on another show called Dating While Asian. I'm working on the animated side of it. That's going to be very exciting. Oh, That's right. going to be so is this late. a mixture? Of it's a mixture. Uh, it's a documentary series, mixed live action and, live action and, and animated. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. Perfect. It's bringing yep. all the things all the that you've skills, been working on together. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Tales of Nine Eye can be found on TVNZ. TVNZ on, on demand. Yep. Go ahead. Go check it out. Both seasons are up there. Two seasons. They're fantastic. You should be checking them out. Um, Tell me who your favorite yeah. character is, please. Please do. Tweet. Tweet. <laughs> um, and you can find me, as always, uh, Joshua Martian. That's my name, Joshua, and word Martian, M-A-R-T-I-A-N, uh, on Twitter or Instagram, Joshua Martian underscore art. Simon. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm on Instagram at uh, Siki Fondue. That's S-I-C-K-Y-F-O-N-D-U-E. And I put pictures there. Beautiful. I put pictures yeah, there. That's, that's so that's, cute. That, that's all. Because like, <laughs> sometimes you ask yourself, why am I doing this? So I'm like, well, what am there. I doing? See, I just put that's what it's for uh well that's all from us this episode thanks Uh, for having me no problem thank you so much for coming in we've loved uh loved having you uh you're always so much fun to talk to just (laughs) in the studio so having it on record is fantastic correct so until next time please stay tuned uh for more conversations with the amazing talent from our studio and beyond until then keep mucking around (laughs) 